Thank you, choir. Let us pray. The Lord, as we look at your word, as we spend this time seeking you, I just pray that all that is said and shared be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, tomorrow being Veterans Day, I couldn't help but think about uh, some veterans in my family. I had great uncles. One uh, who was known as Loper, but family called him Bampa. Um, but uh, he had served in the Marines on Iwo Jima in World War II. And he would, he loved to tell the stories. He loved to talk about it. And, and I love to listen, and I love to hear what he, what he went through and some of what happened. And, but he was retired in school administration. He was a principal. And he would come back and serve some as a, as a uh, substitute teacher. And I can remember when I was in the sixth grade, he came and was two days a substitute teacher. And I told my friends, y'all ask him about the war. We won't have to do any kind of schoolwork. He'll just talk about it. And he did. And then the next day, he brought the sword he got off a Japanese guy, and he brought stuff and talked about all these details. And we probably learned more history in those two days. But he loved to talk about it. I had another great uncle, uh, who, AJ, who, who was a pilot in Europe during uh, World War II. I believe a fighter pilot. He did not like to talk about it. He didn't want to talk about what happened. He didn't. I actually found out more about what happened to him probably from other people than him. There were things I, I didn't know. Uh, I wasn't even older for it. I even knew he was a pilot in Europe. Um, because one thing I knew is he didn't ever ride on a plane. He didn't ever go that far. But if he had to go anywhere of significant distance, he always took a train. And I didn't know, but I, I found out and from him later, he would say, I, I was given enough chances and went through enough things in a plane in Europe, I'm never getting in another one again. God got me through, and I'm not even going to do it. And he didn't ever ride in a plane. But he didn't like to talk about it. One of my best boss, I worked at the Mississippi Auto Auction all through high school, and he had been in, in Vietnam. He didn't like to talk about it much either. But there was times when you could catch him and he would just talk or he and I in his office and he would share. Had a, had a neighbor that had been in Desert Storm that really struggled. I remember a couple of times he would open up with me and, and really, and I remember weeping with him on my front porch on what, some of what he went through. And as I was thinking about that, and all those stories, and some of them different, and some not wanting to talk, and not, and, and those were different stories in different ways. Uh, as I thought about the passage this morning, one of the things they all had in common was there were moments that they thought, this isn't what I signed up for. This is tough. Or that they wanted to give up. Have you ever had any of those moments? 
And we all have. When it just, this, wait a minute. It, life hits you in the face. And you just, this, this is tough. This wasn't my dream. This, this wasn't what I thought. This is harder than I, and you just want to give up. Often anything that is significant in life takes some of those moments and where it gets the, the dark night of the soul, they call it, and you persevere through. But those moments that it's just, what? This wasn't quite what I thought it would be. This is hard. This is difficult. Well, that is where Israel is. It's actually Judah, the people of Judah, when Haggai gives this prophecy. That's the feel of what's going on in, in them and for them. I'll give you a little bit of the context. Haggai, it's very brief, just two chapters, short one. Um, but significant. His entire prophetic ministry is lasts about five months during the year of 520 B.C. But it's significant. It, what, what has happened is, I mean, this is after David and the kings and all the first and second kings. And the, what happens is they, you know, have the kings. They, they don't want God to be their king. They want a king like other nations. They end up with kings. It doesn't pan out so great. Um, after Solomon ends up splitting the kingdom and you get the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom of Judah. But they just start going through the motions of religion. I mean, you hear what Jeremiah and Isaiah and the prophets say. You just go through the motions. You, just, you go to the temple, even where Isaiah says, you just go to the temple and you, you serve me with your lips, but you're far, your, your heart is far from me. So your worship is just a stench to me. I mean, God says that. They would let other gods come into play and, and be tempted with other nations and other stuff to the point where the northern kingdom finally falls as a consequence to Assyria. Then a little while later, the Babylonians defeat the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which is in Jerusalem, is the hub and where the temple is, is the only one left. And they hang in a little longer, but then they end up being hauled into exile and defeated by the Babylonians. And you get much in chronicles of, of what and why and the things. And the... But then the Persians defeat the Babylonians and they become the world power. And Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, allows some Jews, they're called Jews, that's why you get Jews, is because the Jew, tribe of Judah is the only one that gets to go back to Jerusalem. That's why in the New Testament, that's why they end up being called kind of by slang Jews because it's the only tribe that goes back. But they get to go back to Judah and Cyrus the Great gives them money and resources and stuff to start rebuilding the temple. But it's a very, it's a small group. It's called the remnant is what we call it. Small group that goes back and they actually end up are just kind of a religious province of the Persians, and they're really kind of 
picked on and under the control of the Samaritans. You know, by the time you get to the New Testament, there's this disdain among Samaritans. And that's part of when it really starts to happen. Because the Samaritans really kind of oppress them. And, and, but they struggle. But they start kind of, kind, of, kind of strong. They come back and they start building the temple. And they, they build the foundation of the temple. And then they get distracted. Does anybody ever get distracted? I mean, I've told y'all, I am off the chart. ADD, diagnosed, papers to prove it, diagnosed younger, diagnosed as an adult, re-diagnosed, I'm, I, you know, I am the champion of, you know, squirrel, and there we go, that's just me, and my Sunday school class will tell you, get, I love to chase a rabbit, give me a rabbit to chase, here we go, you know, that's why I can't stand still up here, but um, you get distracted, this past week, the, the prayer retreat that Katie and I went on was North Georgia, and we go, and you just have kind of a guided and even some personal do what you want, but spend time prayer with God. God showed up for us, but um, was in the North Georgia mountains. My wife learned long that we love the mountains, but, but I think I would do fine. But when we drive in the mountains, she kind of wants to drive. And her fear is that I'm just going to be driving and she's just so beautiful and drive us right off the mountain <laughs> because I can just get distracted and so excited. And so that's, that's what happens. So think about how we get distracted. But what got the nation, the, the, they started building the temple. They got the foundation up and then they get distracted with their own lives because they're hungry. And they're getting oppressed by the Samaritans. They're getting in their poverty and there's some drought and they're trying to make, you know, y'all know, y'all know how that is. You ever get excited about Jesus at, at a prayer retreat or something? A weekend retreat or even a Sunday and you just, yeah, and I'm just, we, we start strong and we're going to do great and, until what? Monday morning. And then the, Bills are due. And you're complaining and you got, you got to go to work and deal with that person. It's difficult or you're struggling or you've got that child that just, that teenager that's difficult or that grown child that is going through struggle or problem. You got difficulty in caring for an aging parent that you love or you get laid off. You don't know where the next, when you're going to make the mortgage payment. You face foreclosure. Those moments when just life distracts us. They got distracted. They get distracted for 17 years. They make no progress on the temple. And see, it's not because, and you find that out in chapter 1, and you find that out if you read the other prophets. It's not that God says, I, you gotta, I, I can't show up unless you give me a temple. I already said we're in Jeremiah and Isaiah. Actually, when they want to build a temple, God says to David, you can't build anything that can contain me 
I, I am God. It's not about that I can't show up unless there's a temple. But the temple, or even the tabernacle during the wilderness period, represented God's presence. God's centralness in the community, in the life of the people, of God being central in everything. God wanted, that's like so much of the law. God, you know, what you eat, what you don't eat, all this. It's because God wants to be a part of everything in your life. And the temple symbolized that for them. But it was more than just a place and going through the motions. It was where their hearts needed to be. And they did well, but they get distracted for 17 years. You've been distracted for 17 years? I've been a little distracted. I'm just going to tell you, moving is difficult. And y'all know. I mean, let's just be honest. I think you like me okay. Maybe. Yeah, and you're getting to know me. But you had Ricky for nine years. If there's not some mourning, then y'all did it wrong. To be in community and ministry together, and that's okay. But it's the other side too. If I'm not, there's some mourning and in, in, in leaving where I was for five years, and care, then, then we did it wrong. And that, that's, that's, that's not easy, family and kids. And you get distracted with that. But I'm going to tell you, it's a privilege to me. To get to stand here in the opportunity to share with you on how absolutely beautiful and good God is. And to be welcomed into community. And what God has done through this church in the past. What God will do. What we're going to do together. That's all good stuff. But we get distracted. They were distracted for 17 years. But in chapter 1 is where Haggai says, okay... Stop it, people. It's been long enough. All we got is a foundation. Let's build. And he gives them this rallying prophetic speech of let's get going. Let's build. Let's do it. Let's, and they do. That's why it says at the end of chapter 1, that verse included. If they started building. They obeyed. They were awed by God's presence. God shows up. They have an awe of God's presence with them. And they obey and they begin building. And then what happens within a month? They struggle. They got distracted first. Then they get frustrated. They get discouraged. And the number one thing that discourages them is their own expectations. You ever been discouraged by your own expectations? My wife will tell you, I, people, y'all don't realize I'm a mess. She really needs to be your pastor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Because I'm the champion of that. I mean, I can get discouraged by my own expectations of, you know, just remind me. You, you've got these expectations. No one can live up. Or, or that it's going to happen. Or if God shows up, it's like, well, but God could have done more. That's where they are. Sure, we are. I can be a procrastinator. I've learned to deal with not procrastinating. I do my Franklin planner. I got to get focused. Got to get it done. 
And I'm not speaking for all procrastinators, but for the majority of us. You know why we kind of do it? It's because things are so perfect in your head. You know, they are. And anytime you implement or do anything, it's never quite as perfect. We're real perfectionists. It's just never quite. I mean, I admire people who can say, well, hey, we got halfway there. We kind of did all right. You know, my father-in-law will say, well, it was a great day. Nothing broke that can't be fixed. You know, wow. But just what could have happened? It could have been. They get frustrated by their own expectation. You've got young people who got excited that we're building the foundation and we're going to build it bigger. But then they were reminded of what it should have looked like and what it could have looked like. Stories from the past, and you had people telling them, and and older people who could remember. Because it was 70 years before that when the Temple of Solomon was destroyed. So they remembered it. They were young then, and they were, well, wait a minute, we're building a temple, but this isn't near as big as the Temple of Solomon. And some of the stuff that they thought defined the temple, like the, the ark that held the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know, from Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> you know, it held the manna from the wilderness. It held the tablets God gave Moses. The staff of Aaron. That stuff is gone. It was hauled off by the Babylonians and it ain't coming back. And so they're reminded, well, it may be okay, but it's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be like it could be or should be. And they get stalled. Because of their own expectations. And, and they have two leaders, this, uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua. And, you know, Haggai kind of has to let them have it in the first chapter. We didn't read that part. He has to tell them, okay, you people. And it's mostly Haggai and Zerubbabel. You, you live in paneled houses and look at God's house. It's, it's, it's nothing but a foundation. They weren't perfect. But their, their leaders had come back with the, with the remnant that was there. And they were even discouraged. Hey, wait a minute. This isn't what we thought. And Haggai steps up and says, but God. Guess what? God is still God. It may not be the same temple, but it is the same God. And it may not be the same leaders. It may not be Moses and Elijah. And it may, it may, but what you got is what you got. And guess what? No leader ever measured up. But God is still God. And he tells them, and I'm about to shake the heavens. And everything is going to change if you will put me in the center. And they do. And they start building. Some of us get bogged down by our own expectations. We're stalled out because we get distracted. And the good news is, God is still God. God still loves you and died for you and wants us to just see what God's up to. And will it look like we expect? Probably not. It never does. God has a way of being bigger than I could imagine and being smaller than I ever thought. And sometimes when I think God should do something big, I remember when I planted the, I planted the connection, it was going to be the mega church of the South. 
It ended up being at-risk kids, and we did it volunteer for 10 years. But God showed up in some amazing way, faithful to every promise he ever said. It just never looked anything like I thought. God's like that. It's like if God called you know, Moses to go lead my people, and Moses said, no, I really want to build a boat like Noah. Let's do that thing. I know how that works. I read about that. Guess what? God never does the same thing twice. Never. Exactly the same. Never does. So we need to sometimes let go of our expectations and let God be God. And the final thing that's laid on my heart that I want to say this morning, and then we'll end, I promise. As I used to, you know, as so often... Christians do, people do. We, we love to read ourselves into the text. And that's not a bad thing. But it's really God's story, and you get to be part of it. And God doesn't, you know, you can read yourself into the David story, but guess what? You're not David. You're you. And I used to would read that and say, well, if I'll just be better like, like Joshua here, the priest, or Zerubbabel. Or if you keep reading, you got, you know, Nehemiah, build the wall. If I could just, you know, or maybe I'm not one of those, but I've got to gather a team. I've got to find them. And if we can just learn leadership skills, I mean, you know, I've got a doctorate in leadership. You know what I've learned? Every leader in the scripture was a mess. I don't really know what we're doing. And none, not you, not me, not any of us are ever qualified or good enough, or righteous enough. We're not to be the administrator, the king like Zerubbabel, or the priest like Joshua. You know why? We've got one. A priest, king, prophet, and it's Jesus Christ. He is worthy, and he is righteous, and his spirit works in us. And I think it's so beautiful. You see that here. It's so beautiful. Because that, it says the month and the day that, that Haggai spoke. Because you, you know what it is? It's the last day of the festival of tabernacles. Or the f- festival of booths, it was called. Actually, the name Haggai means festival in Hebrew. And he, he chose to give this statement at the festival, of, the festival of tabernacles or booths was 50 days after Passover when they came back. It was a harvest festival and they celebrated and they built little tents and they lived in them from seven. I liked camp. I think I would have liked the festival of booths. But they lived in you know, They camped out for seven days and remembered God's faithfulness in the wilderness. So in the midst of that, he's reminding them yeah, we can't go back and live the past and we can't live in our own expectations, but God is still God and he is going to show up. And I find it to be beautiful. Then in John's gospel, that is the last day of the festival of booths when Jesus stands up and it's like he can't contain himself and says, when they're sharing the water and pouring it out during the festival, he says, if you'll come drink from me, you'll have rivers of living water. 
And then by the time the Romans are in charge and you get to Acts, you, you realize you know, the festival of booths, because it's 50 days after Passover, gets labeled by Romans as Pentecost. Because that means 50. And that's the day Jesus and the Father pour out their spirit among the church and take some unqualified, failed people who had abandoned him as the disciples and transformed the world. May we hear that. When we get distracted or discouraged and think we don't measure up, the darn tootin' you don't, and neither do I. But he does. Let's go. Let us pray. Dear God, we praise you and thank you for your faithfulness. In the midst of our struggles and difficulties and distractions, you are God. Who redeems and restores and transforms. May we live our lives in response to it. We don't get it right. We get off track. But may we take every opportunity to put you back in the center. And then let you be God. And see what you will do. And may we just follow. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.